0: Hey everyone and welcome back to The Negotiation and on today's show we were delighted to talk with Sean Graham who was the 31st Premier of the province of New Brunswick, Canada. For those of you playing along at home, this is the second of the two episodes where I sadly upended my audio settings and sound like I recorded this in the Grand Canyon. However, Sean not only saves the day with much better audio, but also amazing commentary around his trade missions to China as the premier, the importance of nurturing human relationships with Chinese business persons before talking deals, China's push for the renminbi to be internationally accepted, and understanding the magnitude of how fast the Chinese economy is growing. Sean. What is a brand or two that really made an impression on you in China? Well, two brands that
1: come to mind immediately. uh, The first would be the evolution of WeChat, which is the social media platform that you need to be on to do business in China. Uh, You know, I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to technology. Uh, I'm not on Facebook here in Canada. I'm not on WhatsApp or I'm not on Twitter. But uh, I do use WeChat in China. And I travel to that country now, and I, and I never take currency with me. Uh, I want to communicate with my clients here uh, in China from Canada, and uh, you know I'm able to call them and, and have excellent reception and connectivity. Uh, and that technology has evolved in, in the past eight years while I've been in China to the point now that uh, I need it on a daily basis to do business to stay in contact with my clients. And the second product that always comes to mind when you're in China is uh, the spirit by Joe called Maotai. And, you know, China's still a, a, a drinking culture in the sense that uh, there's a lot of meals around the, the round table and you don't do business at the round table. You learn who your business partners are, uh, but you do have to raise a glass. Uh, to toast and when you Mao Maotai is often the, the spirit of choice and it has a very distinct flavor and who's ever invested early in the stock and, and, uh, and, and the company is doing very well these days because it's one of the most profitable uh, performers on the, uh, on, the, on the China exchange. So for, for me, uh, those two uh, are purely Chinese products that stand out, that are world class and top of mind. WeChat and
0: Maotai. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Sean, welcome to the show. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Well,
1: it's great to be here with you today, Todd.
0: So tell us a little bit about your first visit to China, uh, when you went, where you went, and what the purpose was.
1: Well, in 2006, you know, I was given the opportunity to govern the province of New Brunswick as the 31st premier. And uh, it was sort of baptism by fire because I was also the incoming chair of the Council of the Federation, which represents all the territorial and provincial premiers. Fast forward to 2008 uh, as past chair and uh, the premier of Quebec, Jean Charest, was approached uh, by a number of businesses in Quebec Um to see if, if the Council of the Federation could lead a trade mission into China. And the reason for this is that uh, the government of the day under Stephen Harper had sort of abdicated an interest in China for a number of reasons. So the, a number of Quebec-based companies uh, approached Premier Chouret, who was then the current chair of the Council of the Federation, asking us if, if we could go collectively as a group to China. And that was my first entry point into China directly. Uh, I had been in Asia on uh, a number of times uh, back in the early 90s, uh, I had traveled to Korea and also to uh, to Thailand and into Japan. But uh, my first foray was in 2008 uh, with over 200 uh, companies from across Canada with the Premier of Ontario, the Premier of Manitoba, the Premier of Prince Edward Island, uh, a representative from Quebec and the government of New Brunswick represented by myself.
0: Now you do a lot of business with China and you do uh, more business focused, less uh politic uh focused or infused let's say how are those meetings different um not only from what they might have been you know let's say 15 years ago but you know to today when you're doing business there versus what you were how you were doing business back for how how are those meetings different how are those relationships different
1: well, the relationships today are based on a, on a business to business model, but in China, government does matter, and carrying the title of a past premier of a, of, a, of, a, of a province still carries weight in China, uh, and that's you know that's a benefit for the clients that I work with, and also a benefit for me when I'm looking to organize meetings uh, and helping to grow our businesses. I'm blessed in the sense that uh, when I was premier of 2008 and in traveling to China, I knew that when I was going to be leaving public office. That this was the country that I wanted to do business in. It's the second fastest growing. Uh, uh, sorry. It's the fastest growing economy in the world, but uh, the second largest economy in the world. And I knew that this is where I wanted to be. And New Brunswick had a, a strong foothold in China, uh, based on an education program that had been st- that had started back in 1998. Uh, Dr. Francis Pang, at the time, in 1998, after a trade mission under Jean Chrétien uh, and a Team Canada mission, uh, wanted to implement Canadian education uh, in China. So he wrote every premier in Canada, and the only premier who responded to him was uh, was Frank McKenna, the former premier of New Brunswick. And since then, Dr. Pang, under his company, has Opened over 32 schools and there's over 15,000 students now uh, that are enrolled in a a program in which they receive education and curriculum from the government of New Brunswick. And Dr. Pang became a great mentor for me uh, when I wanted to enter into, into business into China, and it was an easy springboard because of the footprint that, that New Brunswick already had through our education system and the foundation of those schools. And it's great today. And, you know I'm still, I'm still involved with the, with the program. Uh, when I uh, travel to the People's Hall every, uh, every July for the graduation ceremony and see all the kids from across Canada, or sorry, from across China uh, coming on the stage to receive their Canadian and New Brunswick diploma, it's, uh, it's a pretty exciting time uh, seeing those kids, knowing that they have one of, you know, the, the opportunity to spread their wings and apply for universities around the world.
0: Have you noticed a difference? in the way that atlantic canada was received maybe versus where central or western canada but it would have been received and has that changed over the years in your opinion yeah
1: you know, atlantic canada often suffered suffered under what's called the mtv syndrome and that's montreal toronto and vancouver the uh you know I and mean, initially in 2008 the large focus and our trade mission at that time uh, was on, you know, bringing seafood products, snow crab, lobster uh, into the into the Chinese market. Well, that you know, those 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 products have blossomed quite nicely and, and grown exponentially where today, we're you know, we're competing head on with with Boston lobster, um, where we've seen. Companies grow. In 2008, one company that we we brought with us was the Mountain Flight College, uh, which was a, a company very much in its infancy, but was looking to train uh, Chinese airlines uh, with with a, new, with a Canadian curriculum for uh, for piloting planes. And what's interesting today is that country, you know that company has now grown to over 300 uh, Chinese students annually here in New Brunswick, uh, and it's evolved nicely into the sense that you know, if you fly on Junior Airlines today or China Airlines or China Southern, there's a good chance that some of those pilots were probably cha- trained in, in, in New Brunswick. So we've seen you know, those companies that started in, when I was there in, in the early t- in 2008 and on that have evolved and, and become quite successful. Today, uh, where we're seeing more companies evolve or, you know, in, in higher end fashions and in goods uh, and then in the service sector as well. So it's, you know, we're no longer resource based. We're offering, you know, Higher-end products and 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 better services than we did previously, and we're not you know we're not outpacing what is offered out in British Columbia or Ontario, uh, but we are punching above our weight here on the East Coast, and we're going to see great success. I think the, the Premier of Nova Scotia, Stephen McNeil, has done a great job in, in doing business in China, even in these tough. Diplomatic times. uh, You know, there's a great potential to see a direct flight into Halifax uh, for passenger service, which would really increase the tourism uh, possibilities here in this region of the country.
0: Let's talk about the other side of the coin and let's talk about the Canadian business leaders that you took on some of those trade missions. I'm interested to know what their thoughts were. What was their purpose for joining the mission? What did you have to kind of prepare them with or what kind of information did you pass along to get them prepared? What were their thoughts when they got there? How were they received when they came back? What were their initial reactions or thoughts to, uh, their, their trade mission to, to China?
1: Well, at that time, uh, you know, it was a bit of baptism by fire. China was, was quickly, uh, Evolving and rapidly expanding its access around the world, and what was critical for the companies that were with us was the the emerging market and the potential that it meant for their for their companies here uh, to grow but what Quickly became evident, and where I fell short, and I'm, I'm the first to admit it, is That you know, my first mission in 2008 uh, was also my last trip as premier. You need to be in China on a regular basis to cement those relationships. If you have a twinning uh, sister city or a twinning province that you're you, you've twinned with, it's important that you work to to cement those relationships. Uh, you know, and and have boots on the ground, literally. You know, if, every six months, you know, to, to, to make it work. And I think that's what, amazed, I guess, some of the companies that we were with, that it wasn't your traditional handshake, let's get a deal done and make it work. You needed to have a relationship first before you could do business. And I think that's a key takeaway, even today. You know, and my businesses have evolved, uh, fast forward now 10 years, uh, that relationship is still critical if you're going to do business in China. Uh, It's not the North American standard where you go in, you sit and you talk business right away. The clients want to know who you are. They want to know uh, who you are as a person, you know, what is if, you, if you're a good soul, as they say, and that uh, that both parties can make money. But it's cemented on the relationship of friendship, first and foremost.
0: You talked about, you know, twinning cities. Uh, so you may have to explain a little bit about what that is to some people. Um, I think oh, no,
1: twinning cities, twin, twin cities, city. sorry, twin, twin cities. cities. Yes,
0: because you're, you're talking yeah. about back and forth to China, like a China, having yeah. that special relationship where um, you open some extra doors and you work together uh, on both sides. But building those partnerships. So you've done it from a political sense. You also do it from a business sense. Now, what does building those relationships mean? What are they? essentially looking for how are they developing it um is it air apparent like is it obvious is there is it is it what meets the eye or is there more to what meets the eye and you know what is some advice that you would have to to somebody who's going to to look to build a partnership with a chinese company or city
1: what's well, amazing every time i set foot in china you know last year i was there probably 8 to 9 times i think it's how fast the economy is growing you know, there's there's 30 million people each year that are moving into the middle class. In China, uh, the family unit is very important. You know, for every child, because of the one child policy, there's six adults caring for that child. Uh, so you've got two sets of grandparents and, and the parents themselves. The Chinese... Two things that, that matters most to them is is their, their family making sure that their child has you know the best opportunities in life, and also you know a real growth industry is in the healthcare sector. Uh, by twenty thirty, China wants to you know adhere to North American healthcare standards. So as this middle class grows, and you see. You know companies such as Burger King, which five years ago maybe had fifty stores, and today they have eleven hundred stores or even movie theaters. I, I heard an interesting statistic the other day, you know, in uh, ten years ago, uh, there was seven thousand uh, movie theaters in China. Today there's sixty five thousand, and to put that into context, there's only thirty five thousand movie theaters in all of the us and Canada. So the Chinese today, their middle class, you know they have disposable wealth. They want to have luxury goods. They want to have access to unique experiences. But to do that, they have to have good income. So when you're doing business in China, first and foremost, they want to know who they're doing business with. So, you know, I've seen businesses fail that have gone in and, you know, immediately start talking about the deal versus creating the friendship. Um, And the roundtable means a lot, you know, for a country that came through the Cultural Revolution and the scarcity of food and everything the meal is a very important function of doing business and you often have to move to the side table after the meal when you want to do business but at the when you you're making the initial introductions and the socialization uh you, you need to be prepared to uh open your soul a little bit and be able to uh to be able to connect with your chinese host or your chinese uh compatriots so It's not business as usual. It's it's very much the inverse of what we're used to here in North America. So you have to get your head around that and you have to be able to I think in the long term. Uh, normally, you know, if you if you think you're going to be able to get an order in in six months, well, be prepared that it may take two years. But once that order is 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 in place, it's the magnitude, and it comes back to uh, the economies of scale that I was talking about. That growing middle class, the 30 million people each year moving into the middle class in China it's such a huge market that for every widget that you're selling or every product that you're putting into the marketplace, uh, you're going to have such greater amount of success just because of the large population base.
0: I want to ask you about that relationship building part of it as well. Do you agree that a hypothesis around the fact that There's less of a legal structure or rule of law or common law or or other things in, in which to rely on when doing business or is less relied upon. Do you think that plays a part in the focus of getting to know the individual, wanting to see them open up and be authentic and really get to know who it is because... There isn't this fallback option like that we know of or that we would typically adhere to here in Canada or in the Western countries of the world. Well,
1: you know, China has a desire to become a leading member of the international club. Uh, So because of that, they, you know, they've recently implemented the new foreign investment law to show that there's legitimacy to, to doing business. But it's, you know, it's a law in flux in the sense that they have to balance that with the political reality of, of a communist country. I always say that, you know, China is very much a, a capitalist communist system. And so with the new foreign investment law that's in place, you know, it that's there to, to, to show that there is stability on, on, on investing in, in China. But that being said, uh, if you know who your business partner is, and there's shared risk, and you you know you both have skin in the game, that's where the true relationship lies. Uh, so yes, the rule of law is important, but your business partner, and and you know, and 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 to cultivate that relationship, you need to prepare to. To spend, you know, up to two to three years. And it can't be on a, on a once a year coming into China. You literally have to be there on a regular basis uh, to show your commitment. Uh, but it's reciprocal because once that relationship is formed, uh, it's a bond for life.
0: Sean, I wanted to ask uh, for business leaders, you know, that are looking to to move into China or that are doing doing business in China. How are you advising them? How are you supporting them? I mean, you're a respected international business consultant and, and a former respected politician. So, how are you helping them make moves into China?
1: Well, to help Canadian businesses make moves into China, you, you first have to understand and appreciate the hardships that the Chinese business person and the Chinese population has gone through to arrive at this point in their history. Um, you know, we're, we're having the great debate today around Huawei, uh, whether it can enter into the Canadian market with their 5G system. And what the Chinese business person has a hard time understanding is that while, you know The North American culture was and business was quick to uh, accept all the, the cheap goods that China was producing to fill the, sh- the shelves of Walmart. But now that they're producing high-end goods and world-quality goods, we're trying to shunt them out of that market. So you have to first give an appreciation for the evolution and, and the growth of, of their economy and what they've been able to achieve and, and pay respect to that. The second part is too, and is the issue of the climate today um, in in China, they have a huge issue pertaining to pollution, and they 're working to curb that. But what the Chinese cannot understand and have a difficult fathoming is that the world is now turning to China saying you have to deal with the pollution issue. And and the Chinese business person is saying, well, you were allowed to grow your economy and you were allowed in North America to reap all the benefits of a strong middle-class, uh, to the detriment of, of the environment. And now that we're trying to do the same, uh, we're being penalized for it. And yet they've made one of the biggest sacrifices that any country could ever have made. And that was the one child policy, which kept, you know, hundreds of millions of people off the planet, uh, which would have a huge further impact on the environment. But yet the North American business person never gives any credence or or respect to some of the difficult choices you you imagine today if the governments of North America dictated to to families on how many children you could have it it would not happen so there's been great sacrifice undertaken by the Chinese culture and by the Chinese businesses to arrive at this point in their economy. You know, they've made sacrifices for the environment. They've made uh, sacrifices uh, in in producing low-end value goods. Now they want to produce high-end goods, and they're having difficult times accessing the North American markets or the European markets. So if if you can pay respect to that and acknowledge it, that's that's a good entry point into saying, look, we understand what you've achieved, and let's work together now to achieve success together. So if if you have a little bit of humility going into the meetings and understanding the mindset of where they're coming from, that goes a long way in helping cement that relationship. Um, You know, the the great debate today around Huawei, um, it's here in Canada. The Chinese have truly outpaced North America, especially the US in the development of that 5G technology. But to see the implementation of it in, in, in China today, it shows of, you know, how fast their economy has developed and the threat that they not, – not even the threat, the, the, the possibilities that exist going forward in the future. And any company in North America today that thinks that they can avoid China are sadly mistaken. The Chinese are not only coming, they have arrived. And it's best that we learn how to do business with them rather than
0: against them. Sean, can you speak a little bit to the trade policy uh, between Canada and China?
1: You know, Canada had a unique opportunity. Um, The Chinese were looking to have a a G8 country sign on to a a free trade agreement. Uh, And the Trudeau government, I think, could have had an early win in starting – Kickstarting starting the talks in a, in a few key areas. Uh, on the environment, the Chinese definitely want to do more for the environment, and that could have been part of the uh, the framework for an, an MLU. Uh, also, on women's rights, uh, because of the collective communist system, you know, uh, ar- around women's rights and workers' rights, the, uh, the the Chinese government definitely would have been able to include that type of language in, in a memorandum of understanding. It was around the, the human rights issue, I think, that the government of Canada overstepped in trying to implement that early on in the discussions, if we had been pragmatic maybe and, and, and started with a solid foundation where there was common ground, then... The government of Canada could have moved forward on some of those other issues that they deemed important. But we should have created the foundation where the window of opportunity presented itself to kickstart that framework. Uh, you know, uh, the government of Australia has, and the country of Australia has benefited immensely from their trade agreements with China. And it could have been a unique opportunity for Canada uh, to move forward in that same framework. And unfortunately, now it's a, it's a missed opportunity that will be hard to get back.
0: I know that you have some passion and knowledge around cryptocurrency, blockchain-related things um, uh, to do with China. Um, talk to me a little bit about your you know, hypothesis around that.
1: Well, the, the Chinese have a goal, and the goal is very simple. Uh, they want to have the Chinese renby uh, to be the currency of the world. Uh, and, and that's not a goal that's going to happen tomorrow, but they're looking at 20 to 30 to 40 years out. Um and the reason why we're seeing, you know, the foundation laid for this today is that now there's there's trade deals being undertaken where Chinese currency is being utilized in African countries where uh, the Chinese have invested heavily uh, to build those networks and to build those relationships. The U.S. has benefited immensely uh, by having their currency as as the global currency. Because of quantitative easing, they've been able to to print a lot of money to deal with the economic downturn of 2008. But that money flowed all over the world. Uh, The the threat that exists today over the long term is that if the Chinese or when the Chinese currency replaces the U.S. currency, all of those U.S. dollars are going to flow back to the U.S., And when that occurs, the U.S. is going to get hit with the highest rate of inflation that we've ever seen because there'll be no home uh, for those dollars to be parked into. So the challenge for Canada is that we're going to be caught into that ripple effect because of our economy tied so closely to the U.S. economy. So, you know, it's an issue that's going to have to be dealt with, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years out. But it is a threat that exists today because the Chinese are looking at creating a global currency uh, where they're the desired currency of choice. And to do that, their economy is going to have to, you know, uh, they're going to have to put in more securities around their currency uh, and around their financial markets and institutions. Uh, And there's also the development of the cryptocurrencies and how that's going to impact, you know, the current uh, currency structure that's in place. So it's an interesting time to watch an emerging superpower overtake uh, the dominant superpower that's in re- in remission, and then Canada as a middle power stuck in the middle, trying to navigate uh, these tidal waters.
0: <laughs> so, on a broader perspective, just you know, looking into the future, what do China North American Western relationship and and the effect on enterprises and and and, and economies, uh, what does that look like to you? Well,
1: first off. Canada has always had a China policy independent of the U.S. I mean, we were the first to uh, to put a diplomatic post uh, into that country 40 years or 41 years ago. Uh, we were the first to sell wheat to China uh, when other countries turned their backs on, on feeding the people of China. Uh, we have a strong diplomatic relation that stood the test of time that's always been independent of the U.S., Unfortunately, in the past decade, you know, the U.S. is now wielding a bigger stick with their allies, telling them that they must be more compliant with the U.S. policies versus our own independent policies here. Canada, I think, always does well when we're able to stand independent uh, in China. Uh, We are a middle power. We can't lose sight of that fact, but we punch above our weight. When we flex our muscles a little bit, so if if we can get back on that track again and we can lead trade missions in and I think you know a strong signal would be on on, on the implementation of, of Chinese technology into our into our system here. I mean two of our biggest telecoms in Canada today use Huawei in, in their system with their hardware. They've already indicated that if they have to take that hardware out, there's going to be, you know, over a billion dollar write down that the shareholders are going to have to uh, to uh, observe. I think from a former premier's point of view, <laughs> there's a unique opportunity here for the Atlantic Atlantic Canada and, and New Brunswick even. The University of New Brunswick today is one of the leading cybersecurity institutes for the, the country. And we should do, you know, we should do something similar to what the UK did and create a, a cybersecurity cluster to, to test for malware, to uh, put in place the key people that are needed to do uh, the, the the testing of the Chinese uh, Huawei technology and create, you know, hundreds of good paying jobs here in this region that, are, that will be paid for by the company, independent of the company. But it creates a unique opportunity where we're able to create a model similar to what the British did. So... You ask, you know, what's the relationship going to be like? We're going to have to show some goodwill that we respect that the Chinese that we're going to continue to buy their 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 low value products, but also their high value products. And if we can do that independent of the U.S. and, you know, to the benefit of Canadian citizens, that goes a long way in cementing our relationship in a country that we've been doing business in long before the U.S. entered.
0: Sean, it's been an amazing show. i um, so glad that we've had you on here. What is your number one piece of advice that you might have for someone who wants to do business in China?
1: Well, I appreciate the, the opportunity to be on the show, even though I'm a little bit jet lagged here today, uh, just arriving back home from uh, from Shanghai last night. But mm-hmm. what I can say is the best piece of advice is that you've got to be committed to the long term. Uh, if, if as a business person, if you go into China, you know, once a year thinking you're doing business there, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to your company. You need to cement the relationships. You need to have boots on the ground and you need to be patient. Uh, so uh, the advice I'm giving today is if you can crack that nut and, and, and create a relationship, uh, it, it will probably take, you know, anywhere from a, a one to two year period before you see that first order come in. But once you have that relationship that you can deliver those products and services, the reward uh, will be enormous because it's such a huge market uh, and such a long-lasting relationship that it's guaranteed to succeed as long as you have that connectivity.
0: I think for our regular listeners, they're going to say, you know, I'm starting to see a trend with this last question on the podcast, and that this is a very similar piece of advice. It's always nuanced per person, per guest, but I think the boots on the ground, the investment in the time, the investment in the relationships and thinking long term and going in for the long haul has been such a regular theme that I hope People understand that uh, the importance of it and why it bears uh, not only mentioning but repeating almost each and every episode. For those of you that are really looking to uh, learn and understand how to do business in China, there's a reason that this topic keeps coming up. Sean, thank you very, very much. Uh, Sean Graham, former premier of New Brunswick, um, who continues to do a ton of work in China um, as an advisor, uh, both as a partner of companies and an advisor to companies that do business in China. Can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Shay Shay. It was great to be here. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at wpic.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I did.